Welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. I am your host, Asla Kelesoy, and today we are going to talk about fast tests. Automated tests in various shapes and forms are common, but it's rare that I come across fast, really, really fast tests. So I've invited Ben Rady. Hello, Ben. Hello. And Josh Chisholm um, onto the podcast today. Hello, hello, Josh. Hello. So um, Josh and I, we've had some really interesting conversations about fast tests, and he was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago talking about GUI tests. Um, and recently, Josh shared with me a draft of an essay, or maybe a start of a book, uh, which is called Progr- Programming in the Zone, and I was hoping we could get a glimpse into some of that. It's really interesting. Um, and Ben and I, we actually used to work in the same company, DRW, and last year he wrote a really interesting blog post about testing with fire, and I felt that that was very similar to the stuff that Josh and I have been talking about. Um, so, Ben, perhaps you could give our listeners a quick background about who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we work together at DRW, I'm still there. Um, I've... Uh, before that, I worked as a consultant uh, for companies like Object Mentor and Improving Enterprises. I wrote a couple of books for the Pragmatic Bookshelf, one on continuous testing, which is actually very germane to this topic, and another one which has absolutely nothing to do with this topic on serverless single-page apps. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about fast tests because I think all tests should be fast. <laughs> Great, thanks. And, and Josh, uh, for, for those of you who didn't listen to the previous podcast with Josh. Could you also introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so uh, I'm Josh Chisholm. I, uh, I run a small uh, software consultancy in London called Futurist. And um, we are uh, seasoned test-driven developers and uh, we're, we're currently exploring ways of uh, you know doing, doing full stack tests as fast as possible. So that's my, my interest in this topic is, uh, goes back a long way. Um, so yeah, as, 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 as I mentioned, um, you know, uh, I've done some work in, in, uh, speeding up GUI tests recently released a, uh, a, a version of Cucumber that runs Cucumber in, uh, an electron process, which is one way of speeding up full stack tests. So I'm really interested in, uh, building big things with fast feedback. Great. So one of the things I would like to start to talk about is the, the, the more of the human or the psychological aspects of, of uh, how fast your tests are. Um, and, then, and then we'll jump into the more technical details later in the conversation. So, Josh, you've, you've mentioned some of this in your essay. What, why do you think it's important to have fast tests? Okay, well, uh, it's about kind of getting in a rhythm, right? And so um, many people have kind of, many developers have experienced uh, times when they feel like many times more productive than other times. Um, And there's some psychological studies into this and it's called flow. And uh, one of the things that defines, uh, one of the defining characteristics of being able to get into flow is about having immediate feedback. Um, So, why I'm interested in in uh, fa- fast tests is that uh, it 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 may help to explain uh, the times at which developers get into this state of flow, uh, which is ultimately um, you know not just about productivity but about kind of happiness as a developer. So I'm 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 in pursuit of happiness. <laughs> How about you, Ben? 
Um, why do you think it's important to have fast tests if you've got anything to add? I mean, you know, I, I agree with all of that, first of all. Um, I, I would say you could maybe think of programming as an exercise in making mistakes as quickly as you possibly can. Um, you know, you want to try to get the new off of something as, as quickly as possible, try it out. And I think that the feedback loop that's generated by uh, automated tests is a great one. The problem that a lot of people run into is that they they don't think about how long that feedback loop really is because they, you know, you know, back as a, when I was working as a consultant, I'd work, work with a lot of people where they would think a week is a fast feedback loop for an idea. And, you know, really, like, especially uh, nowadays, we, we kind of think of those things in terms of, like, you know, minutes, hopefully seconds um, for I make a decision. Is that decision correct? Can I get a little feedback that tells me? You're probably not going to get the feedback that tells you that it's right, but you can hope to get feedback that tells you that it's wrong, right? Like, just because uh, the test passes doesn't mean you implemented the right feature, but if it doesn't pass, then you didn't even do what you were trying to do. So trying to get that feedback as quickly as you possibly can uh, means you can, you know, move faster. It's sort of like that old uh, adage, you know, why do cars have brakes? So you can drive faster. It's the same thing. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's a good metaphor. So... So what would you say is a fast test then? You know, I, one of the things that um, I talked about a little bit in my first book, talked a lot about, you know, back in like 2010, 2012, when Rails was kind of coming on, is I don't think, I think it's harmful to look at speed of test in isolation. Like you look at a single test, you're like, this is a fast test. Because um, tests, generally are uh, the speed of tests, the, the, the latency to run a test, is generally power law distributed. Kent Beck looked into this way back in the day. That's why he made his tool, I think it was called JUnit Max or something like that, um, that took advantage of this. I think you have to look at a suite of tests as a thing. You can't really look at a single test because you can be like, oh, my tests are fast. 99% of my tests run in you know one or two milliseconds. Yes, and the other 1% take 10 minutes to run. Like, that's not fast. That's not giving you the end goal of, I have a fast feedback loop. So I think you need to look at the whole suite of tests and understand that there's going to be sort of like warm-up costs and there's going to be like initial connection costs. And depending on the order that you run your tests in, one of those tests might pay that cost. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a problem. But um, if you look at the test in isolation, I, I think you run into run into problems. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, you definitely have to look at the whole suite if you if you're kind of um, thinking about what you know what what it means to be a fast test. Well, it only makes a difference if it you know for for a single test um, it, uh, when you look at it in in the context of the whole suite. But there are some uh, some metrics from some uh, usability studies that that. Um, Jakob Nielsen has done uh, that show that uh, that we do have these kind of well he 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 had these kind of these three limits that he talked about in terms of uh, in terms of uh, usability engineering so uh, he said that there's the, that that uh, one tenth of a second is is about the limit for uh, having the user feel that the system is reacting instantaneously. So I know that a lot of, uh, you know, um, when people are developing front ends, uh, you, you tend to 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 use this metric to to decide whether or not you've got to show uh, spinners, uh, progress bars, that kind of thing. Um, and then he says that at, at one second, 
uh, it's about the limit for the user's flow of thought to stay uninterrupted. And so that's the one that I'm really interested, which is, which is uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, solving a problem, um, the, the machine itself, uh, if, that, if, if that whole suite takes longer than a second, it becomes a very different thing because, uh, it, you know, it, it kind of interrupts your flow of thought, your chain of thought. And so, uh, and he goes on to say that 10 seconds um, is the, the kind of upper limit of, of how long uh, uh, a user's attention will stay focused on the task at all. So they might go off and make a cup of tea, check their email. If it takes longer than 10 seconds, you might get completely distracted from the task at hand. And it's not just interrupting, but you'll just abandon it altogether. Um, so I think those are, those are kind of the three kind of key limits that we can think about when we, when we talk about fast or slow tests. And you're absolutely right that the, the speed of the suite or whatever you're running at that time. Um, right. Is is the important thing there really, and not not the individual test? Now, of course, we can run one test at a time, um, but we but we only get a limited amount of feedback about the you know the 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 effects of our changes if we only run one test at a time. So I think there's a really interesting uh, trade off there between you know how, how many tests you run and what kind of feedback you you can get within those limits. Yeah, the whole like you know running a, a single and you can do all these kind of tricks, and a lot of tools do these tricks where it's like, depending on your change, you run a certain amount of tests. I actually built a tool back in the day called Infinitest that did like dependency analysis on uh, Java classes to figure out the minimal set of tests that you needed to run, assuming that you weren't doing weird tricks with reflection and things like that. And I'm glad I did that and people use that tool, but I wouldn't do that today. And the reason I wouldn't do that today is because um, I feel like when you start solving that problem, you really should be starting to solve another problem, which is how do I decompose the software into smaller bits so that I don't have to run tons and tons and tons of tests to have confidence that my code works. And I, I think that word confidence, like I'm kind of an old school TDD guy, right? Like I started doing TDD when Kent wrote his first book and I'm like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and, and I've just been enthralled with it ever since. And one of the words that he used in that book in a very specific way that has meant a lot to me over my career is the word confidence. What does it mean to be confident in a piece of software? It means you have enough faith that it works to move forward with whatever it is that you're going to do. It doesn't mean that you're 100% certain. Um, and in all engineering practices, we need to make sure that we provide an adequate level of safety for our mistakes. But it means I have enough faith that I've done this correctly to take the next step because that's taking that next step is the most important thing, you know, whether it's committing or deploying or merging or whatever it is that you're going to do next. And so um, having tests that give you that confidence is really what it's all about and getting the confidence as quickly as you can with a fast feedback loop um, really, I think, makes a lot of difference. So, I mean, one, one thing that, uh, one thing that really comes to mind for me when, when I think about sort of fast tests and the duration of these feedback loops, as you're saying, you know, it's sort of like, you know, 100 milliseconds, one second, 10 seconds, is can I be in sort of a, a constant state of confidence? And I can't be in a constant state of confidence if my tests take like a minute to run. Or even as you say, like 10 seconds, I, I, I can, I can uh, reaffirm that, that that uh, that observation that is, you know, once you get up into test runs that take more than like, you know, 10 seconds or so, it, it's really terrible. So like the whole idea of like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna solve this problem by like running one test or a selection of tests or, 
you know, being really smart about how I'm going to do my test run. Like, okay, it's nice. It's, it's an okay thing. But maybe you should just think about breaking whatever it is you're doing in half. Yeah, that's so, right. Go on, Josh. So no, I was just going to say that that uh, the way that I feel when I use those tools that kind of divide up, or even when I consciously divide up the uh, that w which tests I'm running, is that immediately that confidence drops off, right? Because because I have to think right. about that that I have to I have to think about what which set of tests I'm running and how much confidence that should give me, and that's kind of really interrupting to that that rhythm, right? Which is that, that I'm consciously aware of, uh, you know, the, just just the fact that I'm running a subset of the tests and and i have to think about that and and so i think that 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 can be you know really interrupting in itself um just thinking about what well how much confidence does this this one test give me or this this these 10 tests how, what what exactly are they covering so um there's something very different about running all of your tests uh in terms of the you know how how it interrupts your flow your thought process right. that is yeah yeah my default mode is always just run all the tests on every single change and when that becomes painful, I start thinking about why. Like, is this getting really big? Are the tests slow? What's going on? And I, but you know, I, I like I always, I'm turning that off. Like in tools like you know, Guard and um, you know, uh, Linegan's, uh What's the thing that Jake wrote that I use all the time? I don't even remember what it is. But all the all the test runners, you know, I always turn off the setting of like, oh yeah, only change the test that I change. It's like, no, I want to run every single test every time because if it ever gets painful, I want to know about it. I want to feel it as soon as I can. It's like the feedback loop for your feedback loop, right? Like, ah, this feels slow. I need to do something about this. So some of our listeners, or maybe many many of our listeners, maybe most of our listeners, and are probably scratching their head and thinking, how in hell can I make my test suite even remotely close to what these guys are talking about? Right, because the, the test suites that I see when I go and visit my clients is test suites that take from 10 minutes and upwards, right? Which is like orders of magnitudes beyond what, what you're talking about. So let's, let's, let's try and, and, and I would like to hear what you think about what they can do. Or, or first of all, do you have any theories about why people don't have fast tests? Because it's hard. It's hard, right? I mean, that's the basic reason, right? Like, <laughs> you got to really think about it, it. It's like a mental budget. Like, I, I only have so many, so many problems I can think about in a day, and only so many of those are actually work-related. So am I going to think about how to make these tests 10% faster? Am I going to think about, like, what I, how I could test this piece of code without connecting to a database? Not if I don't have to, right? Mm. Not, not if I haven't really internalize that value and be like, this is really important. We should really do this. We really need to figure this out. If you don't have that, you're the, it's like the tragedy of the commons, especially in larger teams where like, okay, I've been told that I need to write tests. Like, first of all, that's the worst, but let's just go with that for a minute. Like I've been told that I need to write tests. Okay. I'll write tests. I'm going to write whatever tests I can that gives me the code coverage that I need to get to connect the, to, you know, get this, feature in and, and deploy this code. And, you know, if it takes two seconds to run, well, the test suite already takes 10 minutes to run. No one's going to notice two seconds. Might as well just do that. And then that just happens every single day with every developer until you have a test suite where you have a whole team whose job it is to run the test and make them like plausibly fast so that you can, you know, finish a test build in under, you know, 30 minutes. Right. 
Yeah, I think also it kind of creeps up on you, right? I mean, it's like boiling frogs. It, you know, it starts yeah. off, starts off everything's fast, and you don't notice that t- that 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 point in time where it goes over ten seconds or whatever, or over one second, right? These are all right. all relative, and uh, you know, so 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 I think people. Uh, even with the best intentions, just don't notice that they, they they've actually dropped in productivity, and it's not that it's not that they don't they don't want good uh, you know a, a really fast test suite. They just think of it as uh, you know just a, a natural side effect of the the size of the code base, um, and so yeah, it creeps up for sure. Do yeah. you ever do you ever try to fail the build if it if it takes longer than ten seconds or something? You can. I, one thing you can't do, I'm going to just like make a bold statement here and say you just can't do this, is say the build will fail or, or a test will fail if it takes too long to run. You can't put like a 10 millisecond limit on a test. No, 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 I don't know the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing you can maybe sometimes do. I don't know that I would do that, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like shake my finger at somebody like this if they did that with their, with their test suite. But... There, I've seen people try, and there even been supporting tools like, oh, if this test takes more than than 10 milliseconds to run, fail it. That's just a recipe for randomly failing tests, and like you know, nobody wants randomly failing tests. I, so, I don't know. I don't know that there is a, a general purpose way to answer your question more specifically of providing that. You just got to feel it. Well, you so you mentioned you said. Ben, that one of the reasons why people don't have fast tests is that they don't buy into the value of having fast tests, and and it's hard. They don't prioritize it. Yeah, they don't prioritize it. Right. But let's assume they, that that some people have, you know, some of our listeners that they they do understand. They agree that it's important. Uh, they understand that it's hard, but now, you know, they decided to go in and and make their test suite faster. What what are the typical obstacles that developers encounter when when they when they um, when they set out to improve the speed of their test suite i mean at a technical level it's thing, things like io it's databases to a possible extent file system access certainly network access like if you're connecting to remote servers in the middle of the test suite like um, all of the it, it you know kind of all rounds down to io if you're doing io probably going to be kind of slow you can sometimes get away with like, okay, we've got really fast SSDs and we're writing files to disk in the middle of testing. Yeah, okay, a few times, it's not gonna kill you. Yeah. Um, but if you're like, you know, spinning up database tables and, and you know, doing like database migrations in the middle of your tests, like those are integration tests. You call them unit tests, but they're not. They're integration right. tests. Yeah, so, so it, I mean, I, I guess that's what comes with doing I.O. in your test is that you've usually got some something outside the system that you had to have to reset to some known state as well. So that's that, you know, the, uh, as well as the 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 speed of the test, like uh, communicating with the database, for example, you also need to, you know, clear all of the records from the database, reset to some, some known state to to run a large suite. So it's kind of like a compounding effect. Yeah. Yeah. I.O. is, is one of the. F- it's an obvious thing. What what what's your take about asynchronicity, like asynchronous code, whether you you know threading or uh, you know other asynchronous uh, mechanisms? I mean, as long as you're not doing like sleeps, it should be fast, right? One of the weird things that you can run into with uh, asynchronous code, sometimes concurrent code in particular, is randomly failing tests. And that's sort of its own kind of slowness in a way, right? Like if you have, you know, you talked about my, my fire article 
the reliability of a test suite is really key. And you have to be like super aggressive about like, oh, that test failed randomly. Why? That's what we're doing today. We're figuring out why this test failed randomly because that just can't happen. Um, because if you have like two or three randomly failing tests, then the whole suite is kind of poisoned in a way, right? Like you can't stay in that flow of, okay, it's green, I can move forward, I have confidence that I can move forward. It's like, oh, it failed, why did it fail? Oh, it failed because of that test that failed sometimes. Is it, is it doing that again? Yes, it's doing that again, okay, fine. Was I working on again? I don't remember. So, um, you know, I think when it comes to that, that, those, that kind of thing, like you have to be super aggressive about um, tracking those things down when they fail randomly, but there's no inherent reason why they need to be slow uh, why they would be slow, like it would be with like anything that's doing any sort of IO like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that basic principle. But I've personally, I've been, I've been playing with uh, removing asynchrony from a lot of my tests recently, just as an experiment to see if, uh, to see if I could speed up some some fairly big test suites uh, and using that as one one approach. Um, is kind of like removing asynchrony from test from test suites is one way of attacking or uh, you know a cheap way of attacking the po probable causes of those things being slow. So um, yeah, I'm I'm interested in this as an idea. It's just an experiment at the moment. Um, but I've started. So I, I write a lot of JavaScript code at the moment. And of course, um, you know, uh, Node and so forth is asynchronous all the way down. Uh, we tend to structure our programs with with uh, promises. Um, so what I've been doing, uh, because of course the code itself is, uh, is littered with asynchronous constructs all the way down. Uh, and what I've been doing is kind of toying with um, uh, fake implementations of those promises that resolve immediately in 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 my test suites. And so that's an interesting way of. Um, of kind of taking control of the asynchrony um, and not, uh, and I guess um, uh, it gives you some more options about uh, about that thing about random failures as well, right? Which is that another another yeah, thing yeah. that another thing that's a side effect of using asynchronous constructs is that things can happen in different orders, and that's that that's why some uh, that would be a reason why kind of a test would fail in in an asynchronous environment. So it gives you more control over those things so as well as as kind of uh, promises that uh, resolve or reject immediately. Uh, the idea of maybe that the, the 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 test itself can control when the promise is covered by the test uh, reject or resolve uh, so to cover all of the different cases in terms of you know uh, asynchronous things happening in different orders and so forth so that's something that I'm experimenting with actively at the moment um, I don't I'm not sh I'm not sure that that's uh, that's that's going to be a, a big win in terms of actively speeding up uh, my test suites um, but I think that there are, like I say I think there are other other reasons why you might want to go down that route uh, which is more yeah. about more about having control. So a lot, a lot, of, you find a lot of tests like a a, a, um, a lot of tests for particularly full stack tests use things like uh, retries because that's just a reliable way of dealing with uh, asynchrony at scale. Um, and so I'd like I'd like to remove those kind of things. It's it's difficult to know when you've got kind of retrying tests. Um, whether they're essentially far, uh, essentially slow or kind of accidentally slow, if you see what I mean. So uh, I'm mm -hmm. just kind of ex experimenting with that on some large test suites, and uh, and it's an interesting endeavor. But I'm not sure about whether or not. I'd, I mean, instinctively, I don't think that that uh, asynchrony is actually the problem. I just think it uh, it, it may give some insights to 
or it is giving insights into, um, you know, where, where tests are kind of accidentally slow, I guess. Yeah, you know, when you first said that you're you trying to remove asynchronicity as a way to speed things up, I'm like, why would it be slow? And then I sort of thought about it a little bit more as you're talking, and it's sort of like, yeah, you could have sort of accidental slowness in there. And yeah. there's this whole, whole thing about like accidental complexity versus essential complexity. You have like an accidental slowness that comes from you have five things that are coordinating together to try to finish. Four of them are done. One of them is waiting. Like you could have tested those other four things. Like why are you why are you waiting on all those things? And you multiply that across the whole suite of tests, and all of a sudden it's very slow. Um, but I have to strongly agree with you on the topic of removing asynchronicity for terms of in terms of reliability. And in fact, I am an old curmudgeon when it comes to jQuery and deferreds because jQuery two deferreds resolve immediately, and that is so much cleaner in a in a test suite than A plus promises or the jQuery three promises. And I, I still get strange looks from people like we're using jQuery two on this project. Why? Because we're just using it. Um, because you don't have all of these weird things where it's like, oh yeah, I need a callback to tell when my tests are done so I can make my assertions. Uh, no, no, you just, you have complete control over. And honestly, it really does lead to not only more reliable tests, but I believe more reliable code because it's so much easier to test individual sequences of uh, promise resolution. We say like this one resolves and then this one resolves and then this one rejects and then this one resolves, what happens? You can, you have total control over all of those things. And it, it just, so you can like really narrow down like individual use case, uh, you know, use cases for failures. So um, I don't know, I, I may never move off of jQuery 2. <laughs> well, and you, ha and you, you can, <laughs> or just start the, the stack trees you know? actually make sense, right? Because you, yeah, you, right. Yeah, exactly. So Josh, Josh is just at the, at the edge of his chair here. He wants to, he wants to uh, <laughs> promote one of his little open source projects. Go on, Josh. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I've got, a, well, I've got a little thing called Finished Promise, which is, which is just an, a, a, a synchronous promise implementation. I believe there are other ones. It's just, um, I've been you, you, switching that out for, uh, for, for native promises and various test suites and seeing what happens. And that's been fun. Um, the, the, What's the, the it's Say that again for the it, audience. It's called finished promised. Finished promise. Finished it's, promise. Um, I'm not particularly happy with the name actually, but it's just uh, something I whacked together a few weeks ago, and I've been having a bit of fun with. Um, the the little obstacle that I'm hitting at the moment is everybody started writing uh, async await uh, because it's a nicer way to structure, you know, lots of asynchronous uh, stuff happening in order. And there's no way to switch out the uh, the promise that backs async await in Node. So that that's a real struggle. But um, I might have to go and patch Node to fix that one. But Josh, <laughs> I submitted a pull request for that. I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about what kind of well, I asked what what stands in the way of fast tests, and you know one of one of the things is that people don't buy into the value of it. Um, but are, are there any other things that makes it hard? I mean, uh, you've already said yeah, well, I/O is one thing, and, and asynchronicity is another thing. But but there are so many th obstacles that we we that we bump into every day when we go to work and work with a piece of code. I mean, what Can you think of any other obstacles that prevent people from having fast tests? I, I've got a good one. Yeah. Big, big teams. Big teams. Okay. Big teams make it hard. Because 
once you have, once you start down the path of slowness, I'm going to talk like a southern preacher. Once you start down the path of slowness, damnation awaits. Amen. Amen, brother. Um, Once you slow that test suite down to where it's taking 10, 20 seconds, there's, there's like no going back unless it's all hands on deck. Oh, my goodness. We have a terrible crisis. We need to do something about it. So if you have like one or two people on an eight-person team that are like, yeah, fast tests are nice, that's fine, and not like we're going to have fast tests, that's going to creep up. And unless some person on the team or like you know a, a manager or a team lead just says like, hey guys, we need to stop this, it's it's like tragedy of the commons. Um, and and the more people you have on the team, the harder it is from an organizational standpoint to ensure that everybody is completely brought in and that, that you have a sort of cohesive view of how things should be. Um, so if you have a, you know, an eight person team, it's a lot harder than a two person team. And it's, it's, and that's kind of true for a lot of things. That's true for TDD as well. Like you have like an eight person team, six people are really into it. Two people are like, yeah, it's fine. Your test suite slowly becomes unreliable and rocks. And then, you know, two of the, TV people leave and then, you know, it's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I really think it's one of those things that you kind of got to do from the start. And so another thing that can be difficult is kind of, you know, retrofitting fast tests is virtually oh, impossible, man. right? And the, the idea yeah. that, that you're kind of forcing changes to your design and your architecture to make the test faster is something that that, that really leaves a, a bit a bitter taste for people. So there's, you know, there's always there's always lots of fights about, you know, changing design for the sake of tests. Um, yeah. And and so, for example, yeah, I mean, uh, I was reading uh, back on that 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 whole TDD is dead thing the other day and and uh, you know there's a lot there's a lot of talk of like test induced design damage like you know this thing is inherently slow and so uh, introducing uh, new abstractions to to speed up the the test is is seen as a kind of heresy um, so it's 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 really really difficult to kind of take an existing design that seems to work and say well we're going to change that design for the sake of fast tests so I think that's uh, that that kind of inertia is a real real problem there's no uh, uh, yeah it's very, really difficult to to uh, to to kind of backpedal on that stuff well, it's yeah. hard to justify unless unless you really think that in order to in order to be in that state of constant confidence and flow that's what you have to do right yep you have yeah. to really really believe in it then, then it's yeah, a very know. expensive it's a very expensive proposition i i had this a lot with tdd with continuous integration with all of these practices that really you kind of have to do from the start you know when i was a consultant i'd have people that would say that would bring you know me or or you know the object mentor this happened and they'd say, yeah, we, you know, we kind of want to like add a bunch of tests to this code base, or we want to start doing continuous integration. And I'm like, you realize, like, you guys are learning how to do this for the first time, and this is literally the hardest thing that you could do is take an, a legacy code base and add tests to it. Like that's like like expert level stuff, and you want to <laughs> now teach a whole team how to write tests and then also retrofit this code base and also deliver features and also not break anything. Yeah. And also the people that we're gonna, uh, the people who are gonna do that is the manual testers that we're just gonna teach. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. That's even worse. So yeah, you know, it's it's. It, so so big teams are a problem for exactly this reason because it's like once you cross the Rubicon, it's really expensive to go back, and in most cases, it just doesn't make economic sense. Like you just sort of like accept the fact that you're gonna have slow tests, you start dealing with it, 
And that is unfortunately the most, uh, you know, economically viable path forward, which is terrible. Yeah. Okay. So, so there are, you know, there, there are team dynamics that stand in the way. What about technology? Uh, and I'm not talking about, um, I'm not, to- I'm not talking about the fact that you have wired your stuff, hardwired your stuff to the database or whatever, that it's ported a couple. I'm talking about the, the libraries and the tools that you're using. Can you, what, what, can we name and shame some tools here you know, <laughs> that, that, that stops you from having this kind of fast feedback getting into this flow? I'm working in Rails at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there are, way, there are ways, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, a, uh, it's just not the done thing in Rails land, right? It's, uh, you're really fighting against... Uh, Going against the grain, uh, if you were to try and try and have a te- you know a sizable test suite that runs in in under ten seconds, it's just uh, not a design goal. Um, and so I think that the uh, uh, you, you know you you will introduce all kinds of abstractions that the rest of the team will uh, will get really angry about uh, if you yeah. try if you try and achieve fast tests. So uh, it's just not not really possible, I don't think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Rails was not designed with fast tests in mind. It was designed with tests in mind, which was kind of nice. Like, okay, that was cool. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not designed with fast tests. In mind. And the whole, like, test-induced damage, that's just, like, you mean in Rails. Like, when you say test-induced damage, let's just put the extra words on that sentence, which means in Rails. Because, <laughs> yes, if you try to write fast tests in Rails, it doesn't look like Rails. It looks like something else because it wasn't designed for that. Yeah. It's like that. It's the exact same problem we were just talking about. It's the retrofitting test onto a thing is the hardest thing that you can do. Oh, let's do that for a whole framework. Like, it's right. it's really hard. It's really hard. So I just I don't know. Well, let's let's take something that isn't the framework then. Um, let's let's think about Node.js. Um, have you worked with Node, uh, Ben? I assume you have. A little bit, yes. I do. I write a lot of JavaScript. Most of it runs in a browser. When I'm working browser. on and when I'm working on backend systems, are usually in different languages. But I've done I've done a few things in Node. Right. So in in Node.js, you know, Node isn't a, isn't a, a framework. It's it, you know, it's, it's JavaScript with a bunch of libraries, and they let, give you a lot of freedom about how you write your application. Still, people end up with these really really slow test suites. Um, now. I think part of that is that some of the, I think a lot of it is is down in the build, down in the build tools. You know, JavaScript has evolved quite a lot as a language in the past few years, and the people have gotten into the habit of using using transpilers to take advantage of the new language features because the the runtimes don't support it yet. So the browsers don't support it, or or even Node hasn't supported it. So they use stuff like Babel or they use TypeScript. Um, that, that are compilers that aren't particularly fast. And, you know, before you can even run your first test, you have to wait sometimes five, ten seconds for the code to transpile into ES5 or whatever it's called. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know Joe Wands, right? Yeah, yeah, I know well. Joe said a brilliant thing the other day. Um, this is like two weeks ago. He said, I don't add anything to my project unless it adds a thousand percent improvement. 
And he was specifically talking about web apps in that case, but I think that it applies in a lot of cases where it's like, if this isn't like a complete game changer for me, I'm going to use the tools provided by the platform, the tools provided by the language itself, the standard library, and nothing else. And this, I think, is a perfect case of that, where it's like, yeah, I want to use all these new language features. Those new language features would be great. You're now spending an extra 10 seconds every time you change your code. Is it really worth it? Are you getting a 1,000% improvement out of that language feature? Yeah. Are you really? And I think, you know, it's not just Node, actually. I mean, it's maybe more common in Node. I think it's, it's common in a lot of JavaScript tool chains, where you have, like, you know, I'm going to do CSS translate or you know CSS compilation. I'm going to do language translation. I'm going to like run all this like production quality Webpack stuff, so I reduce all my JavaScript down to like a tiny little file, and then you know this this big long pipeline. Yeah. And like, you know, if you can do those things and they don't get in your way, they don't slow things down. Sure, fine, great. But if they do, if they if they're adding a second, they're adding two seconds, like think about it like mm -hmm. is this really worth it is javascript really all that bad is it really that you can't just write the javascript that's going to run in your process yeah i don't know i don't know yeah jsx is another one of those right you can if you use react you can write react in javascript or you can write it in jsx but now you got all this baggage you got to deal with yeah. Yeah. For this reason, I, I refuse to use JSX. Uh, I'm, I'm against my team on this one. So the whole of the rest of my team. I built a big application of a, a single page app recently and used no JSX. And I wouldn't use any uh, ES6 stuff at the time because for this exact reason, I just wanted a fast feedback loop. Um, and I think uh, that was a really good example of like people still think I'm crazy um, <laughs> of yeah, just how, of of how uh -huh. of of how this is uh, un, of how undervalued it is even among people that practice TDD right the, the this this tiny tiny feedback cycle just isn't that highly valued um, and so I'm slightly I'm, I'm treated as a kind of you know I'm slightly obsessive about this uh, this thing and I am slightly obsessive about this thing but actually interestingly what's happened in the past just few months right is that all of those things, the vast majority of the reasons why uh, we might use a transpiler have actually been integrated into Node and into Chrome and so forth. So, so uh, we've got things like async awaits now and we've got modules and those kind of things. Uh, and so uh, there's less and less of a reason to use transpilers in the, as of the past few months um, before hitting production code, basically, obviously you need to use Transpiler to uh, to to turn ES6 into you know uh, for for older browsers. But um, we're now at a point where uh, we can run a suite of tests. Uh, if we don't use JSX, that is, <laughs> that's the only one uh, one reason to use Babel. So if you if you if you hold on to your JSX, then you're going to need to use Babel for that. But apart from that, it's possible to, uh, especially with Electron, spin up your entire stack, and that means client and server in a single process with no transpile. So that's what that's what we're doing with Cucumber Electron, with Electron Mocha. Um, so that 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 really is about that really fast feedback cycle across uh, you know you know client and server code and I, I'm I, I'm uh, spending a lot of work on 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 that myself at the moment but um, yeah so so there's still quite a long way to go in terms of you know making those tools nice but that's something that 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 uh, most of my teams are are using now so. I keep thinking about <clears throat> things that have been mentioned throughout the conversation um, um, about you know people not buying into this idea or wanting to make the sacrifices in order to get to this 
place where they can run the tests with millisecond of second feedback, right? Um, and I think part of the reason why they don't buy into it is that they, they have never experienced it. They don't know yeah, for sure. what it feels like. They don't know how, how good it is. Yeah. So, so it's not something that they, they aspire to do. Um, and I would really like to change that. I want, people, I want more people to want to do this. Uh, I hope that if more people want to build test suites that are lightning fast, then more people who build libraries and more people who teach and, you know, the, the community will, could possibly slowly, you know, change that opinion so that we don't have to deal with all these crappy tools. Um, so I would like to start a movement. I don't know what that movement needs to be called, um, but I think what it needs to do is to, uh, to highlight the benefits and, and the drawbacks of well, benefits of fast tests and drawbacks of slow tests and on, on, on the more emotional and psychological level and, and maybe also economical level, but maybe all of these levels. Um, I don't know if I'll find time to, to do that, but I'm, yeah. I was thinking a website with, with some, some stuff on it to, to build awareness around this. Yeah, what kind of stuff do you think you need on there? Because I, you know, I have, I have tried, like, like I was saying, uh, you know, the rest of my team who are seasoned TDDers think I'm mad for not wanting to use JSX. How can I convince the rest of my team? Uh, I can send them to this website. I can't imagine what's going to be on there that can convince I, them. I have a crazy theory on how to do this. I've been thinking yeah. about this for a while. Imagine if there was a mainstream programming language that was built from the ground up to support testability and fast tests. People go on and on about language features in programming languages. They're like, oh, Python's great, or Java's great, or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. The real thing that I look at when I'm looking at a programming language is the community. The community of people around it, more than anything else, determines what your actual life is gonna be like when using that language. Because the things they value will be the things that are available to you. If you value fast tests, if the community values fast tests, they will build tools to support that. If they don't, then they won't. I think Rails is a great example of that. When they built Rails, they had very specific values in mind. If you don't agree with those values, you're not gonna have a good time. All languages do this though, every single one. Uh, JavaScript's a little weird because it's not like there's one community. It's not like there's the benevolent dictator for life like there is with some languages or a company behind it. It's just more of an amalgam. But by and large, I feel like programming languages are a function of the community. So if you built a programming language and the, like a core tenant of the language and therefore all of the libraries and therefore all of the tools and therefore all of the documentation was we're going to write tests and they're going to be fast. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a very accessible thing to a lot of people because you couldn't help but work in that language and get a sense of what that was like. Yeah, I think that's that would be idea. amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> Nobody's done it yet. But I think, yeah, I don't know. Where, where are those people um, who would build this language? It certainly isn't me. No, it's not me either. <laughs> That's why it hasn't happened. I have maybe hopes that it's like if you get in early on like a, a new, like some cool new language comes out. I was kind of hoping this would happen with Elixir a little bit. It yeah. was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the cool new thing. And then it's like. If somebody in, in that community, you know, one of the, the core people in that community really early just sort of like puts that flag in the ground and says, we're going to write tests and they're going to be fast. Yeah. Maybe that'll happen. 
But I still, I still think that many of the mainstream languages out there, um, there's nothing wrong with them in terms of getting this kind of fast feedback. It, it's possible to do no. in Java. Yeah. It's possible to do in, in, in Clojure. It's possible to do in, in Ruby. And, you know, any language can do this. Yeah. As long as you, as long as you set your build chain and your test tools up and architect things in a certain way, you can achieve this in any language, I think. That's absolutely true. Um, but the, I think that we need to come up with some, some, so I don't know, some principles and, and maybe some, some examples of, of what to do and what not to do, you know, to, to build this awareness. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think particularly the, the, the key, the key thing that, that, uh, that people need, uh, ways of dealing with is, well, what, how, how do I run tests against, uh, so if you acknowledge that you have got slow bits in your stack, right? I'm going to use uh, uh, persistence, I'm going to use uh, a web service and so forth. It's, it's strategies for, for dealing with that, right? That's the essential reason why, uh, why, tests, why tests are slow in Rails, right? It's because they're directly coupled to the database. Well, what does it mean to write tests that aren't directly coupled to the database? Well, it means that, that Rails isn't Rails anymore, right? Um, so uh, you know, I, th I think uh, I think while it's possible to achieve those uh, those goals in any language, um, I think that that it's particularly it's around design patterns and so forth that would allow you to uh, to to consciously uh, run run tests independently of the the slow bits of your system. Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been a super interesting conversation. Um, I really hope we can continue this conversation um, out on the interwebs and, and whenever we meet up next time. Um, and Ben, I'll let you know if we put up a website. Um, maybe you can right. blog out, move your, move your fire yeah. test over there or whatever uh -huh. and let people know about it, that, that this is something that Aslak and um, maybe Josh <laughs> yep. are, are aspiring to do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> really okay. Uh, is, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners uh, before we wrap up? Uh, you mentioned a bunch of tools. I don't need to mention those. We'll uh, we'll just uh, link to those in in the show notes. Um, but anything? Buy my book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Um, Dear listeners, thanks for listening and uh, please tune in to the next episode of um, the Cucumber Podcast. If you have any ideas about what we should talk about or who we should have on a podcast, just send an email to hello at cucumber.io. Thanks. See you soon. Cheers. All right. Thank you.